podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to pick out the perfect gift at your friendly local game store. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about organizing your game collection. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Decorum and Fork. Then, we talk about the many ways you can organize your board games. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Recently, Crystal and I both got a review copy of Decorum, and we played it together Woo-hoo! on stream. Yeah, so we actually got a sponsored stream by Floodgate Games, who because Floodgate Games Decorum. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so Decorum is a cooperative deduction game of passive aggressive cohabitation, so... which is just the best tagline for <laughs> like a subhead or a tagline for a board game, like. Passive-aggressive cohabitation is just (laughs) chef kiss. And I'm a copywriter, so I know these things. It's brilliant. Yeah. But anyways, it's a cooperative deduction game. You are decorating a house and each person has like hidden objectives they need to complete for the house. So they have to be like, there's different colors and styles of furniture. There's like lamps, wall paintings, and uh, shoot, what are they called? Curios. Curios. So you're trying to get like, your, your secret thing could be like, oh, there has to be two yellow objects or like there has to be one green curio or like the the walls on the left side have to be blue or something like that. And so everyone has different objectives and then you have to complete all of the people's objectives simultaneously to win. And you can't tell people what your objectives are. You right. Just... Yeah. You don't know anyone's <laughs> yeah. objectives but your own and you can't communicate them directly. But yeah. when... Like, so you can add items, remove items, or swap items out. And mm-hmm. when somebody else makes a change, basically, you're only allowed to communicate whether you love it, you hate it, or you're indifferent to it. And of course, yeah. we, you know, use different thematic phrases that, rather <laughs> than just those specific ones. So yeah. when Ambie and I were playing, I was just like, oh my god, that's horrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so ugly. <laughs> but you don't know why the other person thinks something is horrible. Yeah. And so that's where the deduction comes in, mm-hmm. is you... You need to suss out what they are trying to achieve or not achieve, as it were, depending on the goals. And you're trying to simultaneously fulfill your own objectives while not screwing up the other person's objectives. And we played through the first three two-player scenarios. And there Mm -hmm. are scenarios for two, three, and four players included in the box. And honestly, I played this game with my friend group a handful of weeks ago, and we played it with more than two players, and it was more difficult. I This game truly shines at its two-player player count. And I'm not saying I disliked it at a larger player count. It was fine, but it was way harder. <laughs> and at two, it's still difficult, but it felt more achievable and less stressful, even though it was still hard. Yeah, for me, it, yeah, it was a lot easier at two for me. So I played it at, well, we played with five players, but it was four player scenario and Toby and I were playing as one person because we wanted to try out the game. And this was like back in May, so it was a while ago, uh, but we really liked it. And it was just, it's hard because it's hard to keep track of everyone's objectives. So like there was a lot of deduction with the multiplayer. Like I was trying, like people were taking things off. I'm like, oh, okay, I think they have this condition and then this person has this other condition. And so I was trying to like keep track of all of that in my head, which which gets very difficult. But 
we were able to eventually get it. Also, after like a few, after 15 rounds of the game, which go by pretty quickly, <laughs> you get to share conditions with other people. So in the two-player game, you just like tell the other person one of your conditions. But in the multiplayer game, you pass around the cards because you, you have condition cards. And so you pass someone else one of your condition cards and then someone else passes like someone else's condition card. So you can see someone else's conditions. And so you're trying to help them fulfill their condition as well. So on your turn, like you don't have to only be going for your condition. You want to like make sure that other people's conditions are fulfilled too. And if your condition is closer to being fulfilled than someone else and you know their stuff, then you can like help them. So that, that was pretty interesting. I think there was more of that in the multiplayer game than in the two player game. Agreed. Yeah, yeah definitely. But I am excited to play more scenarios because the two-player game is a campaign game. So I think it gets harder and harder. Uh, we only played the three scenarios out of 20. So <laughs> there, there's a lot. And I'm excited to play those. I, I'd wanted to play with Tobies because we had played, after we played with the five players, which is actually four players, <laughs> we, we were like, oh, we will, we love this game at two players, even though he hadn't played at two players. We knew <laughs> we were going to love you it. You can sometimes just tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, after reading the rules or after hearing the rules explanation, or maybe even just like the overview, Toby was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's one of those games where it's like, oh, you know you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, you know, we're heading into the holiday season, and, well, we're kind of already in the midst of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so if you are, you know, somebody who's looking for board game gifts, if you have, whether a gamer friend or even a non-gamer friend in your life who really likes deduction games, even if, like, yeah. that's, you know, the classic games like Clue and things like that, or this like one mechanically... Puzzles is pretty simple. Like it's really not mm -hmm. that difficult to learn. I would not classify this as a gateway game per se, or like an entry level game. But if you are somebody who understands even like fairly light family weight games, this one's not that hard to pick up and play. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it would actually make a really good gift. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Cause like all you do on your turn is just change one item <laughs> basically. <laughs> so yes, people who like deduction, logic puzzles, that type of thing. And it's fun because it's cooperative. Lots of board games like Clue and stuff, the deduction board games, they're not cooperative. So this is very unique because it's a cooperative deduction game. You're not like working against other people trying to race to complete it. You're working with other people and trying to like help in deductions, which is neat. So that was Decorum, designed by Charlie Mackin, Harry Mackin, Drew Tenenbaum, and published by Floodgate Games. I recently got a preview copy of a game that's going to be coming to crowdfunding in January. It is a trick-taking game designed by Tate Wu, published by Sunrise Tornado Game Studio, and it is called Fork. Fork like the utensil, but technically the letters, F-O-R-K, stand for Fox, Owl, Rabbit, Kale. This is a food chain trick-taking game. Oh. So fox eats the owl, eats the rabbit, eats the kale. Hmm. I got to meet Tate at Dice Tower West, and I knew that Tate really liked trick-taking games. And when he told me that he was designing this one and told me a little bit about it, I was very excited to try it out. You all know I love trick-taking games, especially unique ones. And this... It is wild to me how trick-taking games can be so vastly different when they're all kind of based on this, you know, <laughs> core mechanism, basically. And so in Fork, what happens is players are playing cards from their hand in different terrains, which are basically the suits in the game. And then the active player gets to call out which terrain is being played that round. And then other players do have to follow suit if they can. And... Most of the cards get played face 
down rather than being face up. So the only type of card that's played face up is Kale. So if you play Kale, which is at the bottom of the food chain, you do play it face up, but everything else is played face down. And then once the cards are revealed, if someone played a fox, they can score an owl or a rabbit. If Now then, once that's resolved, if there are any owls left, they can score any rabbits that are left. Mm. Once that is resolved, then any rabbits that have been played can score kale that was played. And if, after all of that has happened, there's any kale left, the player who played that kale gets to take it back and score it themselves. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, and so the, the, the animals have different no, numerical values on them. And so if, like, let's say there is one owl and two rabbits... Only one of the owl, only one of the rabbits. So it is mm -hmm. possible to like, even if you know, or you think you know what someone else is going to do, you can kind of like meta game it and like mm -hmm. be like, okay, so I think they're going to play a rabbit. But if I play a rabbit of this value, then it should be safe. And then I can eat the kale. But then there'll be like three rabbits and it just, <laughs> it all goes haywire quickly. And you're like, oh wait, all the kale's gone now. There's nothing for me to eat. So <laughs> it... It works surprisingly well and feels very different than most trick-taking games that I've ever played. And then uh, once a player has collected a certain number of cards, uh, scored a certain number of cards, the game ends. This can be played with anywhere from two to six players. Once you get into the higher player counts, you are playing in teams, but it is just so much fun. And like the moments where you're like, okay, I know I'm good. And then you fl they, everybody flips their cards over and you're like, no, they <laughs> ate my, my owl. Because the foxes are wild, so they can be played out of suit. And all each player only has one fox in their hand. And uh. so like the foxes are very powerful, but if two foxes get played at the same time, they don't get to score anything. And so I just, there's a lot of little nuances to the rules like that, that just make this a delight. I am so happy that I have a copy of it. And I would highly recommend if you are a person like me who enjoys trick-taking games, this is coming to crowdfunding in January and you can sign up to get notice, notified when it goes live, I believe on the publisher's website. So I'm grateful that Tate sent me a copy of this one and I I'm super excited to keep playing it. That is Fork, the food chain trick-taking game designed by Tate Wu. That sounds pretty neat because like the tricks, instead of getting all of the tricks, you split it up. So that's like... Yeah, like it, there is no one. like yeah. one person claims all of it. It's... Yeah. Yeah, it gets divvied up. How many people did you play at? We played with three and four players when we oh, played okay. it. Oh, yeah. Cool. So I haven't played it at two yet. I'm curious to know how it would play at two. It seems like there would be less of the, there, there's less clash between. Yes, like, I think. And there are, the I believe there are rule differences in that yeah. player count as well that I didn't mm -hmm. look into. But yeah, it's nice to have games like this that have a wider player count because a lot of trick taking games are like four players only. And it's <laughs> like, that's all well and good, except I don't have three friends that want to play teach you with me all the time. So like, I love teach you never get to play it because you have to have three other friends who know how to play teach you and that just does not <laughs> happen for me very often <laughs> ambie there are a lot of things in my life that i am really really good at like i'm pretty talented in a lot of ways 
But there is one thing I am horrible at. Do you know what that is? Oh, is it organizing board games? Oh, it's organizing anything. Oh. Like, organization and I, we are not friends. I wish we were. I would love to get to know her. I don't know her at all. And so, like most of my belongings, my board games do not tend to be well organized at any given time. So we are gonna just talk today about ways that you can organize your board game collection. And hopefully I'm gonna, I don't know, gain some insights about myself and figure out what I wanna do going forward with my own collection as it continues to grow. Theoretically, how would you organize your board Right, like this is just me, like this is a secret way for me to try and uh, figure out what to actually do with my own stuff. Yeah, so I, I thought of this topic because holiday seasons are coming up. We're getting, I've been getting a lot of new games, even though I shouldn't. <laughs> and, I'm doing the same just... thing. I have so many games that I need to get played. And then like my friend will message me and be like, hey, this, this, uh, this store is having a sale. And I'm like, oh yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> and then like new games just end up on my table, on the side of my table, because we are out of space in our Calyx shelf. And you all have been very diligent over the years about like, you know, culling your collection and getting rid of games mm -hmm. that you don't play anymore. So yeah. that's another thing because our, our big cull is at the end of the year. So that's coming up too. So we're going to like go through all of our games and like reorganize them and then like cull them too. So <laughs> that, that we do that every year. So they get organized every year pretty much. And Which I think is, that's can be a good thing to note, right? Is getting mm -hmm. rid of games can be beneficial in helping you organize the ones that you're keeping because mm -hmm. inevitably as you go through them you will kind of just bind the nature of going through everything reorganize it yeah but people have different ways of organizing their games i've seen people organize by like color which is really pretty um. it's so pretty but it's just like there's no <laughs> other usefulness to, yeah. to organizing that way other than it's pretty and if you don't remember the color of a particular box yeah. like i know that castell is yellow so like there are certain games that like i would know exactly where to find them but there are other mm -hmm. boxes i'm like i don't remember the color of that and then what would yeah. i do with strike because i own the old version which is in a purple <laughs> box and the new version which is in a yellow box so now do i have to split up my versions of strike like like what? I, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I also do not do color. I actually organize by like type of game kind of. So I have like the party games, the two player games, the Vital Lacerda games. <laughs> the... <laughs> I love that Vital Lacerda gets his own category. Yeah, just because well, he, we have enough games for to fit a shelf for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Re real time cooperative games, right? Cooperative, other cooperative games, the children's games, the 18xx games. So like we have those kind of, and then all the small bucks games are kind of like in the same shelf because they're small and they just kind of like all fit in one shelf. <laughs> I do something similar, but I've found even when I put them all together, I like, I don't lose as in they're gone forever, but like I lose a mental grasp on some of the mm. small box games that I own because yeah, they're all together and I can't visually see them as clearly as some of the larger games. And I kind of forget that some of them exist, even ones that I really like. Or especially like sometimes when I, when, when I travel more frequently, obviously pre-pandemic, I was keeping some of my small box games in my quivers, which shout out to mm -hmm. Quiver Time. Their products are amazing. If you ever want to travel with games, their products are absolutely fabulous. But when I keep games in a quiver, again, my brain just kind of forgets that they exist. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. ADHD brain at its finest, basically. But like, if I can't see a thing, I, it doesn't exist to me anymore. <laughs> yeah, that happens with us too. Like our small box games 
we have some behind the ones in front too so like and, and in our party game shelf too it's kind of like overlapped in the small party games <laughs> so we have like some in the back and then some in the front and then the ones in the front we see and play more but then like the ones in the back we completely forgot about them i think last year when we were doing our call we like saw, found some games in the back we're like wait we, we still have this game like what <laughs> <laughs> and we're like huh <laughs> and so yeah sometimes we just have games back hiding <laughs> Well, okay, so you bring up a very interesting point, and I think it is one of the reasons that some people, I own a Calax, you also own Calax shelves, Mm -hmm. and a lot of hobby board gamers own this particular shelving unit from Mm -hmm. Ikea. Yeah. It used to be called something else, and then they renamed it the Calax. Is it Vesta? Is that right? No, I thought it started with an E. I don't remember what it was called regardless a lot of gamers own this shelf but i have heard people say it's kind of a waste because the shelves are deeper than most board games and so you end up technically not utilizing all the space on the shelves because it like you said if you put games in front of other games to utilize all the space now you can't see the games that are behind which like isn't Mm -hmm. that the point of having a shelving unit is to see the things because if you wanted to put your books and your board games in a box and put them store them that way you wouldn't be able to see any of them the whole point of having a shelf is to see the stuff so if you're now stacking multiple layers you, you you don't get to see them that way either so I do understand why some people are not keen on the Calax for that reason. But aside from that, it is a nice boxy shelving unit that happens to fit most standard board games pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. It used to be called the Expedit. Expedit. That was okay. Good. I wonder if Besta <laughs> is like the version from a different com- like a different company that is Maybe. similar looking or something because it's in my head, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Oh, and another reason this discussion came up is that um, I'm I'm in the Foster the Meeple Discord. They're a YouTube channel that talks about board games. Jeff and Jamie, there. It's fun to watch. Them. Go check out their content. <laughs> yeah, they're all them. they're awesome. Um, so yes, but yes, in their Discord channel, they started a topic of the day, and then one of them was recently was, "Do you have like what are your display games?" And I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> but then people are talking about like they have their games like facing out, so it's just like taking up the whole box of the shelf just in the front but then they have like the front of the box rather than the side so so instead of having it sideways like bookshelf type you have it facing forward so you see the front of the box and then it looks really nice and so people are showing pictures i'm like oh that looks really nice but like if i did that then i would just forget the boxes behind it right that's what i'm saying yeah when when i play games like we are always like okay what game should we play and then we all just like look at the shelf and like look at all the we do the exact same thing So, so it would be hard to remember Although I guess since I organize by type, it might be not as hard because like I have all the real-time cooperative games and then I could just have like a real-time cooperative game in the front that embodies all the real-time cooperative games. So it's like, okay, we want to play this type of game and then we pull it back and look at it or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, and so- your collection is smaller than mine at least. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes sense. Like I think you might be able to pull that off, but like I own too many games. And so even if I tried to do them category wise (laughs) I know I would still forget about some of the ones that were back behind so then I'd be like okay let's pull this off and look and yeah I have considered doing the display game thing and having like because it does look really pretty it does look nice yeah but the thing is nobody's walking through my dining room that often so like (laughs) I don't I don't do the content in front of a board game wall typically so I don't really have a reason to do it that way (laughs) yeah I also don't film in there anymore and I think when I did film in there, people liked looking at, like, seeing all of the games I had rather than just, like, some of them. So, yeah. yeah. So, for me, the way I 
Again, lack of organization is my life, but I do have some semblance of organization to the games that I currently own. For me, a lot of the like really old vintage games are all up on top mm. of the Calax, mostly because the box sizes back in the 80s and 90s <laughs> were large and weird. And so they don't fit anywhere else. So those mm. end up stacked on top of everything. Same thing for some of the more modern, like huge games like Return to Dark Tower and Descent, the latest edition. Like those boxes are just gigantic. And so I just throw them up on top. Admittedly, getting them down from up there can be very scary. And so I have to be careful. But so far, are no accidents in that regard and then like you I have a section of like small box games that are all kind of grouped together and then it inevitably that sucks when I need to grab one that's like on the bottom of the stack because I would like have to maneuver it out without toppling everything over <laughs> yeah <laughs> and for the rest of my games I kind of tend to to some degree go top to bottom games that I either play a lot or want to play soon near the top and then toward the bottom is stuff that I don't play as frequently or like sometimes I have games that I really know I'm not going to play that often, but I'm keeping for various reasons like nostalgia mm -hmm. or they're rare or hard to find, that kind of stuff. Like that tends to go to the bottom of the shelves for me mm -hmm. just because then I don't need that visual reminder of those. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Like once I got kids, the uh, rare things went to the top. Oh, <laughs> 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 no, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they went out of reach. So all the 18xx games I had to move up because they used to be like more on all on one side and like filling the shelves from top to bottom. And then I had to move them up more. And then now there's a bunch of children's games and I've been getting like the children's games are overflowing <laughs> because I keep I'm like, oh, these are this one's cool. I want to get this for them. <laughs> but, I mean, they, um, they like them. So there's yeah, no but, reason I mean, not to, they, right? They don't play them enough to warrant having like 20 <laughs> games. I mean, do any of us play games enough to warrant having how many we <laughs> that, actually have? Like if we're being honest, at least for me, I do not need as many games as I own. Yes, like, even yeah, though I play games true. a lot, I do not need this many. <laughs> that is true, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, so our, our shelves are overflowing. Uh, all the new games we have, I just have on the table or, like, on the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I have games on the table and on the floor also, yeah. for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's the goal of our call is to have it so that everything fits on the shelf. But if I do the display box, then I fit more boxes on the shelf because I'll have like the regular boxes and then one in front. So Ooh. one more will fit on each shelf. Okay, that's a reason to do that strategy, <laughs> if nothing yeah. else then, because you get to get to store more games. <laughs> so what are some other ways that people could consider if they are looking to organize their collection? So something that I saw about children's games that uh, I think most board gamers would not do <laughs> because it involves getting rid of the box <laughs> is is um it was like someone organizing their children's games and toys and stuff and so it makes sense like you have kids toys you throw away the box right like the legos or whatever you put them in a bag or in a bin and throw away the box so like yeah yeah they had the board game stuff in like a big ziploc or something and then just like had it in a filing cabinet <laughs> of the different board game things in bags and they don't have the boxes anymore which i mean i guess is like very space saving but like for people who collect board games that's like not something that they would want to do because they like keeping the board game box it literally gives me anxiety just hearing yeah. that, but it totally makes logical sense. Yeah. Because, especially because boxes get damaged easily, especially mm -hmm. when kids are a factor, right? Like mm -hmm. the games that I have from my childhood, 
They're, the corners of those <laughs> yeah. boxes are wrecked. And some of those boxes, especially the ones from our childhood, they weren't really made to like keep putting it back in. Like Hungry Hungry Hippos did not fit back in the box when <laughs> when I was a kid. Like that box is just, <laughs> I don't know, like yeah. not fit. <laughs> so yeah, it, it makes sense getting rid of some of those boxes. <laughs> That's true. But nowadays, a lot of modern board games have nicer boxes that are meant to be kept. <laughs> I mean, I do miss the days of where you would turn the box over and on the back was always the like <laughs> most generic looking family with the cheesy <laughs> smiles, like yeah. playing the game, sitting at a table. And even to this day, I still don't understand, like, were people confused about what a board game was? Because <laughs> what is that picture actually, like, what is its purpose? Is it like, do people pick up this box and go, well, what is this thing? I don't understand Monopoly. And they turn it around and they see a picture of a family sitting at a table. They're like, oh, this is a family activity. Like, was that confusing <laughs> at some point? Because all of the games in the 80s had that same generic family on the back of the box smiling at the camera. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you got to see the game set up usually, right? So I mean, but like in those pictures, <laughs> the game is an afterthought. You can barely see. Like you can see it sitting on the table, but that's about it. <laughs> you can definitely sort games based on their usability and how they play to some degree. Sometimes when, you know, when I'm meeting up with my friends, we are kind of looking for a game that is a specific length of time to mm -hmm. play. So I've considered grouping games based on like, okay, these games are 30 minutes or less or 15 minutes or mm -hmm. less. And these games are three plus hours. You know, if we're looking for something chonky, there go over here. But in practice, I've never really found that to look good aesthetically because... Yeah. I mean, the long games do tend to come in bigger boxes to some degree, but everything else kind of runs the gamut. And so I don't want to have, I, I do want how my games are displayed to make sense visually. It doesn't have to be like color matching, but I don't want to be like big box, tiny box, medium box, all on the same shelf because mm -hmm. it messes with my brain. I guess one thing you could do if you have a lot of games is like get help with digital apps. Because if you log your collection on Board Game Geek, there's a lot of apps that connect with that. And then I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I think there's some there that you can like filter your collection by length, number of players, mechanics, things like that. And so it can help you pick a game so you can organize your collection however you want. And then maybe if you have some sort of, or I guess you could do it like alphabetically or something, or like if, if you know where maybe you can log which shelf has which games and stuff. And then with an app like that, you would be able to find it. I don't know. <laughs> I like the idea of organizing them alphabetically because mm -hmm. you still see them visually and you can find things easily. Because yeah. I do a lot a new of the time. Game? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's, that's why. That, we well, honestly, that. all of these strategies, because like when I do organize, I tend to like utilize all of the space in a given yeah. cubby. So this, as soon as I get a new game, everything is ruined. Basically. <laughs> that's true. Well, like we would use, use to like just put it on top. Because yeah, there would yeah, be space yeah. on top. <laughs> I just like, for me, a big massive organization is a rarity. And so mm -hmm. once I've done it, I don't want to have to do it again <laughs> soon. Yeah. So no buying any new games after you organize. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is definitely uh, an important discussion because I don't know about you, but chances are over the holidays, I will either get games as gifts or buy them for myself because mm -hmm. 
you know, things go on sale around the holidays. <laughs> yeah. So I'm definitely going to be looking for ways to maximize my storage space and make my collection even more usable than it mm-hmm. currently is. I would love to hear from our listeners what they do when they organize their <laughs> games. Do you just throw them on the shelves <laughs> haphazardly? Or do you have a very specific system that you use to organize your games? And then what do you do when you get a new game? Do you throw it in? Do you reorganize? What do you do? So let us know on social media or our Discord channel what you all do when you're organizing your board game collection. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Bazaars of Ubar, the newest game from the designer of Arcana Rising, is on Kickstarter now. Compete to be the ultimate merchant of the Atlantis of the Sands in this fantastical engine-building game. And if you need to do some holiday shopping, don't forget that Blitzkeeters get 20% off non-exclusive items at grayfoxgames.com when you use the code GFGBLITZ2022 at checkout. Join the Blitzkeeter community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. This holiday season, give us the gift of a written review and rating on iTunes or Spotify. And visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to get behind-the-scenes access to the show and an invite to our private Slack channel. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow, technical support provider for Toby Now. Until next time... Last game night, we played my new game, but the very next day, I realized my shame. I fear the rules weren't adhered, so I'll have to reread the rule book. Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you're laughing at your own coughs. (laughs) 